Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Jason. And I'm Blake. And I'm really excited to talk about this movie, this uh, or this month in general. Yeah. We're doing our first ever Director's Month, kind of taking a deeper dive into one specific director's frame of work, and maybe even following that director as they've changed and grown over time. And that's kind of what we've done here with doing Thief. Uh, as our first movie and what we're going to discuss today and then and it was his first movie and it was his first feature film yeah, debut yeah. yeah and then after that we're going to do uh heat probably his most famous work after that and compare and contrast them awesome yeah it's gonna be pretty fun yeah have you watched heat yet no i haven't okay nice i really 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 liked heat and i'm excited to rewatch it in the next week or so yeah and like really get into it yeah, yeah. oh yeah. yeah 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 and just pick up on things that i didn't pick up on before because that's something that i want to talk about today and i think it's really important with a movie like thief there's a lot of detail that went into the movie thief and i think that you almost have to know the crime world a little bit going into this movie and i think that my understanding has grown a little bit after doing the research on this one, and I think it's going to help with my enjoyment of Heat even more. Yeah, yeah. So that being said, let's let's dive into it. We'll start with the plot. Thief's kind of a hard one to talk about, and I kind of wanted to maybe start with the setup of the film rather than try to just do like an overarching plot, because this is actually one critique that Jess and my friend Mike had when we started watching the film is both of them got a little lost at the beginning about kind of what was happening and and the setup and who the main characters were. So our our first main character is Frank. Uh, He's a jewel thief and an ex-con. The film opens up with him pulling off a heist and leaving the jewels that he he's stolen with his fence joey gags which is an awesome name yeah 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 those those 80s names like they've come up a few times and they're just great yeah and frank's like we're not opening up into a crime movie where the person is just getting into their craft yeah and and kind of moving up the the crime ladder he's already pretty well established at this point like i would say he's been doing this for like 15 years I was thinking about today. I think it was only like four years since he got out of prison. Oh, really? And in prison, he learned everything from Okla. Yeah, so he he learned everything from his mentor in prison. He's, He's established himself at this point. He's got his own money laundering schemes going on. Like he's got the used car... Uh, sales place he's got his own bar so so he's he's established he's in mm-hmm. the game at this point yeah. and he's actually kind of getting to the point where he's almost looking to maybe get out and move on with his life one last job yeah the one <laughs> last job kind of movie yeah. exactly taking a step back to our, our friend joey gags here who's goes to sell his uh jewels and is then murdered while in possession of them so frank learns who stole the jewels and murdered Joey Gags and goes after them. And then he kind of becomes intertwined at this point with the Chicago mob. He's very much a lone wolf. He does his own jobs and he only deals in jewels and cash. He has specific rules. Like he knows his craft and how he operates and won't deviate from that. 
Yes. So that's where he's super established, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's a really interesting look at at his mentality as an ex-con and being taught in the prison system by another ex-con. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of meshing this a little bit with characters and people you may know. I think that's a pretty good setup. You did say does kind of go off on his one last job. So he makes cuts a deal with the mob to do this this really, really big job. And then he says, I'm out after that. I want to go start a family. He's in a relationship at this point, And he's he's looking to kind of move on with his life and, and move forward with his life. And that's something he says in a really pivotal scene in the first act of the movie. Yeah, that covers everything. He starts off, we start off with an amazing um robbery scene everything just goes off perfectly yeah and then uh it's only after when the jewels get stolen and his fence dies which is outside of his control as well right like he everything that he does he does extremely well yeah and like you said living to that code has kept him on like the right side of things for however many years he's been doing this yeah he gets enmeshed with the chicago mafia and yeah that's good plot summary overall obviously some crazy shit goes down this is an amazing movie yeah it's a good movie i i agree um and i had some mixed feelings at at my viewing uh my little viewing party so we'll dive into that a little bit later um so frank is played by james con he's actually a very important actor and he's in something that Everybody from our generation knows, and you'll know him from that as soon as I say it. Uh, but he's also from some really other interesting stuff that I didn't connect him with originally. So so James Kahn is the father in Elf. Yeah. Like, angry corporate, like, yeah. dad, which is amazing. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. such a good role for him. <laughs> yeah, it really was. That's hilarious. He's also Sonny Corleone in The Godfather, which yeah. as soon as yeah. as soon as I read that, I was like, oh my god, how did I not put those two together? Yeah. Because he's like the angry, like, over-the-top, violent brother in, in that movie, which is like the greatest yeah. crime movie of all time. And I've always, like, like picture, if you say Sonny Corleone, I can picture him in my mind instantly, and I hadn't put those two together yeah, before this. I did, but yeah, it was just like a thing I was like, oh, it's Sonny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, he's also Paul in Misery, which is a, one I of the... I haven't seen that one. I haven't seen Misery, but it's one of uh, Stephen King's most famous movies. Right, uh, With okay. Kathy Bates, right? Yeah, yeah. I haven't um, seen that one. I'm surprised. Neither have I. I'd like Good to watch 1990 this movie. We should watch it. Yeah, we should. Ooh, yeah. Maybe that'll be my pick. Yeah. <laughs> I've so, heard Rollerball, another one that James Conn is in. I've heard of Rollerball, mm-hmm. and I don't know much about it. 1975. Looks like it has, it has a great poster. Nice. Yeah, and I I really love the poster for this movie as well. Yeah, um, yeah, that was some good work. I, I'm gonna Google who made that. <laughs> yeah, that good idea because it's. It's a work of art, like a lot of this film. There's a, there's so much good details in this. Anyway, so moving on, we've got Jesse next, and Jesse is Frank's girlfriend in the opening. So it's the cashier, and this is maybe this first point where in our room we were starting to get confused in our viewing because it kind of looks like in the first couple of scenes that he's just met her and just asked her out on a date but this isn't actually the case reading into things in the backstory of of filming 
they've actually been dating for a little while at this point. So I think you have to go into what dating means in the 80s compared to now. <laughs> so people would be dating like a lot of people sometimes. So that's what I was assuming is that they they've been they've gone on dates together. Yeah. They've slept together most likely because of who they are. Right. And but they're not like exclusive. They're not in an exclusive relationship from my perspective. Okay. Yeah, it's a little bit ambiguous yeah, at yeah. the beginning. But um, but from either way, it's like he's about to step it up a notch yeah. very quickly. Yeah. And and Jesse's character is actually in my opinion one of the most well-written love interest characters in a crime movie because in a lot of crime movies the love interest is just some attractive woman who the person meets and maybe they have some sort of fiery relationship she doesn't quite understand the biz and they eventually crash and burn whereas with her she's coming from the crime industry her yeah the crime world herself her ex-boyfriend was a drug dealer who was murdered she spent some time down in Colombia. yeah like and- she he was murdered down in Colombia while she was just like drifting along with him throughout the crime world of the states and um south south central america and everything yeah so she like she was like a almost like a hippie who is just like following along but she got involved in some heavy stuff yeah like she has a backstory that could have been a movie yeah. Which, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like, and and I think that that's that setup is great. It's a gr- it's a fantastic setup. It really in the brief diner conversation that they have, it explores the characters deeper than a lot of other movies explore their two main characters. Yeah, in film. yeah. Like, it, it's the depth is incredible. And so Jesse is played by Tuesday Weld. And Tuesday Weld was an extremely influential actress of the 60s and 70s. She also appeared in Once Upon a Time in America as Carol. Oh, no way. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie. It's been on my list for a really long time. Oh, I watched a lot of it's crime phenomenal. films. Yeah, yeah is yeah, it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've got to watch that one sometime. Maybe for the podcast, but I feel like with how many other crime films we watch, I might just have to watch it myself and yeah. do it another time. But it's it's been on my list for a really long time. Our next character is David Okla Bertineau. Man, you mentioned him previously. He was Frank's mentor, and he even uh, refers to him as like a father figure while he was in prison as a youth. Yeah, Um, he was in prison for like 15, 20 years. Yeah, yeah, he was in prison for a long time. Um, And so he taught him everything about his craft and, and how to be a good thief, and they're extraordinarily close. Throughout the film, Frank's trying to also get Okla out of prison because Okla's realized that he doesn't have long to live. I think he has cancer or something like that. So that's kind of the other focus of the movie is is his relationship with his his father-like figure. Yeah. And Okla's played by Willie Nelson. Yeah. Which is incredible. Yeah, that's um, unreal because I didn't know he was in anything earlier like that early. Yeah. Yeah, this is his first big film appearance. Um, he's not in a large part of the film, but because of how much detail went into this film, like his character's so important. He does a fantastic job with the character mm. in the scenes that he is in. They probably could have explored his character a little bit more. They just didn't have time because of how much else was going on. Yeah, you could have set up a whole movie titled Okla. Yeah. <laughs> so this is what, he, our two spinoff movies yeah, right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this guy's life, like the main character's life, everyone that's in it, 
it it feels so rich and like it's real. Yeah. Like there's people that he has long standing relationships with or who have like storied histories mm-hmm. that like ever like you kind of get hints at, but you like they're pretty deep. You feel it. You don't have to be told it all yeah, the time yeah. either. Like and that's great storytelling. Mm-hmm. There's a couple other characters that or maybe not characters that you need to know. Like there's obviously the mob and the mob bosses. But uh, Jim Belushi also makes an appearance here. This is one of his first films. Plays Barry, who's Frank's assistant. They call him James Belushi on this. And so that threw me off at first. I was like, did he have a brother? Yeah. But I think he does have a brother. But that's separate. He is Jim Belushi. And I'm pretty sure he was James Belushi in something else I've seen. Yeah, he was. He used James for a few films. Uh, Dennis Farina was also one of the first times he ever acted. He actually was a police officer. He's one of the main mobsters' henchmen. Mm. And he was actually a police officer. Again, prior to filming. Yeah, so when we're when I was like following up on everything in this movie, I was like like how are things so real? Mm-hmm. And you find out that there are a lot of police officers either consulting there were consultants that got into the movie basically yeah. because they were real. And then same with um Arutsi, the uh the one cop who's like a crooked cop. Mhm. They're all crooked, the ones that we <laughs> yes. see. But anyways, he was actually like a, a thief in real life. He went to jail. He was in, I think, the mafia or something like that. Were you going to say something about this? Well, we'll get into that in effects and filming a little bit later. But John Santucci is yeah. a really interesting person in real life. And I spent a little bit of time reading up on him. Um, and So did I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a great film to do research on. Yeah, yeah. This is a film, like a film fanatic's favorite movie, like the favorite type of movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For sure. <laughs> so let's get to the director now because the focus is on Michael Mann here. And this, like we said before, this is his first feature film. He eventually becomes known for his crime films. Um, so specifically heat and manhunter he also did public enemies which came out in 2009 i love public enemies i think i did watch that when it came out it's uh christian bale and johnny depp and it's great like my we have that yes yeah 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 yeah. uh my dad and i have watched it probably a dozen times together that was phenomenal yeah Yeah, yeah it's a great movie he was also the executive producer on Miami Vice in the 80s, which is like a hugely important yeah. TV show at the time. It was um, very influential. Yeah. That is like the 80s show. Yeah. The other thing that I noticed, the camera work and the vision of, of the yes. camera is, is so incredible. Like, I wrote specifically down the opening the opening scene where the setup of the crime and they're panning down the alleyway and it's raining. I was like, this is like, this is like, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Like Uh, it gets, it gets you immediately into like the, the feel of the movie. Yeah. Like I was like, I got shivers a little bit. I was like, okay, I'm ready. Yeah. Like this is, yeah, it was perfect. It was a great, like, and like the lighting, like the, the like bluish hue. And that's what he's known for is his 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 night lighting in yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what a what a and great showcase. Yeah. So just like that mixed with the uh the goddamn score. 
Yeah. Like, this is one of the movies where, like, I don't normally notice a score unless it's, like, super exceptional or, like, I don't know. It was just so perfect, those 80s synth. Yes. The and 80s synth discuss coming in. in detail. Yeah. When it was coming in in that initial shot, it was just perfect. Yeah, and he was the one who made the decision and hired the team specifically to create this sound um, because the, this was a specific team that created this sound. And we'll dive into that a little bit later. Let's move into who this movie is for because we'll talk about Michael Mann, I think, a little bit and do some compare-contrast uh, once we've watched Heat. Yeah. So, obviously, if you're a, a fan of crime films or if you're, like, a diehard... Uh, like crime podcaster or something like that, I think you're really going to appreciate the level of detail that went into this film. Yeah. And I want to bring up a specific example. In the courtroom, they're trying to get Okla out. Yeah. And his lawyer is talking to the judge, and the judge puts his fingers yeah. on his face. Yeah. And then the lawyer does the same thing and puts his fingers on his face, and there's, like, this weird back and forth. Yeah. And the three of us were kind of laughing at it because it looks really it odd. Strange, yeah. But the detail behind that, the background behind that, is that's how they used to essentially uh, negotiate a yeah. price yeah. to be pay to be bought out uh, essentially yeah. and so they're kind of going back and forth like the judge wants eight and yeah. then the lawyer says no i'll give you four yeah um yeah. and then they settle on six so he says six and yeah. then the the lawyer goes six as well yeah so yeah. it's little things like that where until you understand a little bit more of the crime world y you kind of miss those little details yeah i noticed it right away and i was like oh they're negotiating right now like yeah. it, like when you first see it it is like like why why are they why is the actor doing that yeah like yeah and then you start seeing it, it goes back and forth it was good yeah, so it's just like a little details like that are just so interesting, and you're really going to appreciate it as a, as a fan of crime. Yeah, like seeing how many um, cops and robbers were in on this movie, like acting or um, consulting yes. everything in that area, like that's how you build a solid world. Yeah, it's, it's all the background research that went into this, absolutely, yeah. like... Michael Mann's movie prior to this was about a uh, convict uh, competing in the Olympics. Yeah. So he he kind of talks in some of his interviews about how he he was almost doing research into the mind of a convict uh, at that point for this movie, and that and that's really cool how prepared he was and like how how different movies over time have prepared him for like his yeah. future film. Yeah. yeah. If you appreciate movies, I think you're really going to enjoy this because, like, the camera work's really great. The characters are are really fleshed out. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Like, the character Frank himself is written extraordinarily well as an ex-con. Like, we understand how the mind of Frank works in this yeah, film. Yeah, and they really explore that. It's not just, like, the, the classic, um, like, I'll never go back to jail like trope it's he picked up a mentality that is very true and specific that like from his time in prison yeah he's not just like i'll never go back like we always hear like that's not the setup it's that he feels um like he feels a certain way about like i'll get into that a little bit because we're just trying yeah, to no, go ahead i was saying later oh but... fair enough okay <laughs> When we get into spoiler talks. So yeah, like. yeah. So we're just trying to um, 
set up like say who would like this anyone who's into crime specifically and like the film film everything yeah Um, the score if you really like a good score listen to this this movie is the most 80s movie i've ever seen and i think the reason for that is something we're gonna have to discuss in legacy i gotta leave it for then i think all right yeah, it so felt so fan, 80s. Yeah, if you're a fan of 80s films, this is going to feel right at home. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'll say about Frank is, I, in my opinion, I found Frank a much more enjoyable character to, to watch than somebody like Tony Montana uh, in Scarface. Yeah. I didn't get into Scarface really well because I just was so off-put by tony montana and everything that he is whereas like frank i can empathize with yeah um and and even though frank has these certain mentalities like even though frank can be an ass like he can say some pretty horrible things you can understand who he is to have gotten to the point where like some of those things can come out yeah i Um, i fucking love scarface uh, and because um you're not, tr- you're not, like, you're rooting for him, but you're also just watching, like, it's a different... He's an it's anti-hero. A well, both are. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know, I... He's, it's just Scarface is more anti, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I, I just couldn't, I don't know. I'm a big crime film buff, I would say, but Scarface is just one that didn't connect with me. Whereas, as Frank the character, I really connected with a, a lot more. I will say this is this is kind of my one knock and this is maybe where some people are going to be slightly off put. There's two things that I would say. The dialogue isn't always perfect in this. There film. are some great great quotes there are and some great fantastic scenes quotes and, and some a fantastic good monologue. Scenes. Yes. But yeah, th- like there's some parts where like it, it just feels I don't know. It just feels hokey. ADC. Or, yeah, maybe ADC. Uh, there's a point in time when a character says, oh, look at that baby. And it's just like a really weird line. Yeah, yeah. There's just moments like that that don't always connect. So if if you're somebody who notices that, you might get a little... I think it was the parts that weren't crime-related, mm. like that part. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a little off, but... Yeah, like yeah. it's small stuff. I but I just yeah. I want to put that out there for yeah. people who are maybe specifically looking at that. I think you could potentially be a little bit confused with the opening stuff, and that's why I wanted to really hammer home the setup and the mm. characters and how yeah. their relationships are developed. Because uh, going in for the first time and not knowing about all of that, there was definitely some confusion in our in our watch. One thing that I'll I'll continuously say is that if you're watching something and you don't know what's going on, it will be answered right after you ask the question. <laughs> Probably, yes. <laughs> I mean, you have a, a girlfriend who does ask a lot of questions while watching yeah, movies, yeah. so you're probably a little bit more used to that. But, uh, like... Like, it'll be like, what's that guy's name? And then the guy will walk onto the scene and his buddy will be like, Frank! Yeah. <laughs> Joe Gags! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> yeah, it's just a classic crime film. It's less of a cult classic than I think it deserves. I think it deserves yeah. more attention. I agree. And it came out to a lot of critical acclaim at the time. Mm. And it's hugely important for the crime genre. Like, the, obviously, this isn't a godfather, but yeah. I will say that a lot of 
things that went into this definitely influenced later film yeah. in the genre. And and just 80s film in, in general. And that's what I'm excited to talk about in the legacy. Yeah, yeah. All right. And then when to watch? Is that yes. what? Yeah. When to watch. You have something? You kind of have to be ready to watch this, I think. Yeah. Like, you can't just throw it on. So it is, it isn't a Friday night movie. I think it's a Saturday night movie. I think, yeah, I could agree with that. Or even like a, a Sunday rain on the couch kind of uh, yeah. afternoon. Like, yeah, I think, I yeah. think a rainy kind of day is where yeah. this film fits in, especially with That'd that opening great. panning shot yeah. of the alleyway. I thought you could maybe slot it into like a late Friday night film, but you if you're not be too right. tired, yeah, it might be maybe a little too dense for some, some something like that. Yeah, and like it is a little slow in certain parts, and that yeah. can, but like that could be good. I don't know. Yeah, but I I completely agree with you that you absolutely need to be in the right mood going into this. You need to know what you're getting into. Yeah, um, like you'll know if you get into it right away from that opening scene. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those movies where uh, it's not on Netflix, but if you were flipping through Netflix, for example, and you stopped in and you were like, ah, oh, I had this on my list for a while. I don't know what else to watch. I'm going to watch this. That's probably not the right time to watch it. The right time to watch it is like you flip it through and you're like, oh, like, let's let's watch this. I yeah. haven't seen this yet. Yeah. Kind of, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Or you specifically go and look it out. Uh, and speaking of where to watch it, you can watch it on Tubi and Hoopla. So Hoopla, the... Uh, libraries, streaming service, and then Tubi was the one that you had talked about before, I think, with the ads. Yeah, it didn't work for me this time. Like I, mm. it. So I went to Just Watch, yeah. and I did see that it was on Tubi one time, and then it wasn't the next time when I actually went to watch it. Yeah. So I'm not sure where it went, if it's still on there. I, I had kind of a similar experience, because the first time I went to find it, I didn't see it on through Just Watch on there, and then the second time, I did see it on there. So I'm not really sure. I, it might be because this film is not a, a cult classic at this point, that it, it's a little bit harder to find. It maybe doesn't, the connection on uh, Just Watch isn't working perfectly, or, or whatever, but... Um... Are you checking to see if it's on right now? Yeah, now now it's there. Yeah, it's super it was only, strange. Yeah, it was only available for um, Apple at one point. No, it must have it must have just mixed up what was going on. Anyways, this is a little too long for our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll move on. We'll move on. <clears throat> um. Okay. So, I think that's like that's the spot where we want to cut cut it off. Uh, we've we've done a a good dive into the opening scenes and the setup and who this movie is for i think i'm ready to get into some of the details behind the scenes and talk spoilers yeah let's get into it all right i i really hope that if this movie sounds interesting to you that you go and watch it because it is it is a treat i almost want to compare it to like how well uh the joker pulls off the the Mm. um the robbery in dark Knight, right like that's the move like that's the whole movie kind of like it's like that over and over oh well, yeah twice. like and maybe i don't know Let, let's talk themes because I, we're gonna this is gonna kind of relate to this i i kind of think that this is more about like family and the relationships of 
like people in the crime world than it is yeah. about the different heists because there's really only two heists that we see in yeah. the film and they are absolutely central to the plot like that's that's what's driving the plot forward but it's it's the interactions between Jesse and Okla and then or sorry Frank and Okla and then Frank and Jesse and then we get the the mob and and Frank and then there's the whole and the like, cops the cops and Frank yeah. and how the cops interact with the mob and how there's all these different connections yeah. throughout and and how the mob even treats them each other as family and yeah. but you still you have to live by their code and that doesn't necessarily align with the code that Frank has yeah he's a lone wolf the other theme is a look into the mind of an ex-con um, yeah. because Frank doesn't interact well with bureaucracy at all. Like every time he interacts with the police or he interacts with the public, even like yeah. regular public, well, public servants, I guess. Yeah. That's what, that's yeah. kind of what I mean. Like when he goes to the adoption place, yeah. every situation where he gets in and there's any bit of conflict, instead of trying to find the resolution, he like, charges forward and gets extraordinarily aggressive very yeah quickly. yeah and yeah that's that prison mindset yeah we see as well like he's not incredibly well educated either because he's been spent most of his youth in the prison system like he's pretty racist at points yeah um and it, like i think it's more just yelling out stuff to like offend people then it's like maybe his actual beliefs and that's probably a little bit the feeling of being in prison as well like yeah you have to kind of pick a side in prison exactly and so he's kind of got that mentality the very simplified look at what he wants his life to look like on his on his collage yeah um, yeah which was i i wish i like got a closer up picture of that i might pull that up but like it, it had some like really dark shit and like it was just a look at what is important to a prisoner and what is also like their fears mm -hmm. are also in there yeah it, it was really interesting because it, it's something that he had to make with the the limited resources that he had in prison again he's he's thinking about his life in prison where he has nothing and he is nothing and and he brings that up and so these are like very basic wants for his life like he wants to have a family he wants to have kids he he just wants to like he wants you know, to have a uh El Dorado. Yeah, and, and he he's he values his relationship with Okla. Yeah. Yeah, they could have probably done a little bit of a better job showing that because it, it kind of gets passed around a couple of times, that little portrait, but I would have liked to have seen it in a little bit more detail as well during the film. Yeah. I guess my last theme that I wanted to discuss was the look at the relationship between the mob and the police. And this is kind of Michael Mann's first look at this but it's something that it, throughout his films he explores a lot is i guess not not only the relationship but how how mobsters and police are often just different sides of the law and there's not much else different between the two they both live with a set of codes yeah they both understand that the other is is almost like co-working alongside them like parallel yeah, to them yeah and that you could have a good relationship as long as you both understand where you are in the relationship like that's something that we see the cops try to shake 
Frank down. And because Frank is the lone wolf, the set of codes, he wants nothing to do with them. He doesn't care yeah. about their like them trying to shake him down. He doesn't care about that. He basically says, throw me in prison. I'm not dealing with you. Yeah. Whereas the, the mob is like, we pay our friends at the police station so that they don't bug us with all the stuff we have going on and don't mess with that relationship because yeah. it's working extraordinarily well for us. Yeah. They've, that's what organized crime does. Yeah. They, there's always corrupt cops mm-hmm. when there's heavy like mob influence. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they did that. They played it off well. Yeah. And we see that the police are just as violent as the mob when they bring Maybe Frank not. in and, and they're very him. violent. Yeah. They they probably won't take it as far. They would maybe, but well, maybe, but yeah. not, not in this case, yeah, but yeah. you never know. Like there's, there's always stories of police brutality. Yeah, so. And it's, it's more like they're, they're a thorn in his side. Whereas yeah. the mafia is a lot more dangerous than just a thorn in his side. Right. Yeah, and, and we see that he really struggles to get out when he wants to, even though he's told them like explicitly, yeah. like, this is my last job. Yeah. And that's that's something that I think this movie does really well as well, is a lot of crime films, we see the main crime uh, characters. They love the life they've gotten in. They don't want to yeah. get out. They like It pulls them back in. with. Yeah. They like, want more. They yeah. always want more. And he's super strict about it. He's like, no, I don't want more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm ready to get out. I've, I've, I know where my life is heading. And I've I spent so... I, he, like, he says this in the diner scene, which is one of... It's the best scene in this yeah. film by a mile. And it's honestly, like, a top 20 movie scene. Like, like I... Yeah, I'm going to get into that a little bit later, but he he says, I've wasted so much time, I've lost so much time, and I'm trying to, like, basically shortcut my way to getting where I want to be, mm-hmm. because there's no way with all of the time that I've lost that I'll be able to get where I am go- where I need to go without doing this, but I, I can see, like, the end of the tunnel. I'm almost yeah, there, yeah. and, like... If you stick with me, we can have a great life. I just like I'm just so close, and and he gets there, and then the mob is like, "You no. are us. Yeah. You are our family, and you are part of us now. We own you too. Yeah, yeah we yeah. own you. Yeah. I love when they're driving to the diner, and Frank just like lays it out completely to Jesse mm-hmm. that like. Like, cause that's where I think they are a new relationship. They have dated before, but yeah. they ha- they aren't like in a full relationship. And he's fully laying it out now because he's like, I'm ready. Yeah, and- that's a, that's a really great scene as well. Because in a lot of other crime films, like the spouse or the love interest doesn't really fully understand what's happening. Yeah. Whereas in this, like Frank's like explicit about it. Yeah, um, he's like, um, like, what do you think I do? And then she's like, you sell. Uh, little fucking cars. That's what you do. He's like, I wear hundred fifty dollars slacks. I wear sl- silk shirts. I wear eight hundred dollars suits. I wear a gold watch. I wear a perfect D flawless three carat ring. I change cars like other guys change their fucking shoes. I'm a thief. I've been in prison. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. That whole <laughs> delivery, the line, like his his like, it felt so real coming from him. It was just a great like intro into his character too, and it like it helped like 
move their relationship forward. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and and it's that candidacy between the two of them that yeah. really works. Um, yeah, and that that that's when they were driving to the diner, and then they had like a more relaxed conversation at the diner, kind of, and yeah. like it set that whole scene. It was yeah, phenomenal. That yeah, that scene's great. Um, if if you for whatever reason you don't want to watch the movie, it, I would say look up that scene and, and decide for yourself whether you want because yeah, that's a that's a highlight scene for me. So let's get into effects and filming. We've already talked about how great the the cinematography is, like the the camera work. You did mention previously that there is a connection to both uh, sides of the law in the film. So John Santucci. The corrupt cop was a former jewel thief, and he was on set consulting on the methods that he specifically used. So the main heist, uh, where they used the massive like torch thing at the yeah. end of the movie, was actually based on one of his own heists that he had done. That's previously. unreal. Yeah. And so I, I did some research on that as well, and they actually had a really hard time filming that because that specific torch that used gets – I don't even remember how insanely hot. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, so it, it's like thermite or something. It yes. just It burns like almost as hot as the sun, I guess. Yeah, like a like, fraction of the sun. Yeah, yeah. But com- <laughs> like on Earth, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in a room, in a bank, yeah. like to do that, if he pulled that off in real life – I, don't, I wonder if you used one that big, because that was massive. It was huge, and I think you had to, because you have to be far enough yeah, away from it, yeah. right? And it was really interesting, them, like, seeing them set up the whole, like, room, and I didn't fully appreciate it until actually after I had done the research and understood, like, just how hot that thing was. Yeah, I, so, like, I, when I was watching it, I was like, like, how are they, like, not choking themselves out right now? Yeah. But, um, so I love that they set up that, Frank had a like metallurgist or whatever that guy yes. was. Like he had, he went somewhere where they melt shit down and turn it into whatever. I don't know what they were doing there. Yep. But that little relationship showed like he really knew what he was doing. Yes. He was using like experts. That was a really cool connection. Yeah. I agree. Um, and, and it's cool to see like the background because like often these thieves would have these pieces of equipment and there's no way that they would have been able to create them themselves yeah and then i also loved like one small detail again was at the very beginning when they were um putting away their like when they were they successfully completed their heist Mm -hmm. they were putting their stuff back into the car and like the tools were heavily used they yeah. were like real tools where like now you always see like uh like a guy in a suit putting away like he pulls out like pristine brand new items but like right. these are like real tools and like either they've done a lot of these heists yeah. or they're getting the tools elsewhere i don't know but well, i like that the tools so that opening tool that he used like that was custom created by the metal working guy and yeah. so a lot of these tools were used like for specific jobs. Like they had done yeah. their research going in, they knew what kind of safe that they were dealing with, yeah. and like, like how specifically they were gonna crack into it. Yeah, like the metallurgist guy, he actually rebuilt one wall of the safe to test this thermite rod to see if it would actually work. And yeah. they're like, "We can do it." Exactly. Yeah. There was also a lot of police officers involved in the filming. So we did have, like, the law representation as well. Yeah. Um, and both sides of it kind of balancing each other out, which is really uh, interesting as well. And funny enough, Dennis Farina, 
um, the guy who plays one of the mobsters, henchmen, mm. um, who I said previously was a police officer, he was one of the people who had arrested John Santucci previously. Oh, wow. So those two were actually co- were connected before the film. Yeah. Um, and so it, I think it was James Conn who said it was really interesting watching the police and the thieves interact with each other while on set. Yeah, and they both played opposite roles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they both appreciated the other's, like, input and an outlook on life. They both really, like, enjoyed working with each other. Yeah. Uh, the thieves, a lot of the thieves that were on set were bragging about how they committed crimes and were never caught because most of them were past the statute of limitations, yeah, so they yeah. didn't care. Yeah. Uh, so the, there was, this would have been a really interesting movie to be on set for. Oh, my God, yeah. You're seeing, like, some of the best on each side. Yeah. Like, it's like that classic relationship of, like, a serial killer and the detective who caught him mm-hmm. and how the serial killer actually finally respects someone yeah, like in the law Batman enforcement. And the Joker yeah, style, yeah, like the Joker style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good theme there, yeah. Yeah, and Chicago, like, just before this time was really infamous for its crime. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's still, like, got a lot of crime going on, but, like, the whole, like, the mob connections and everything there were go very deep. So... It's it's cool to see a lot of that knowledge of that world mm-hmm. coming into this film. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Bridges was Michael Mann's first pick to play Frank, but was too young at the time. Ah, uh, which is kind of wild. Yeah, but, uh, like James Con absolutely nailed this role. Oh like, this yeah, hundred percent. He said that this is one of his favorite roles of all time, and the diner scene itself, he said, was his favorite scene hmm. that he's ever done in film. Al Pacino also turned down the role of Frank, which. Al Pacino could have yeah. done this as well, yeah. just as easily. And we're going to see that in Heat because he's a cop in Heat, but he's got the same anger and aggression and passion that Frank does. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. I've like just from watching uh, the trailer, you could see like yeah, it's the same mentality. Yes. So you you could see this mentality on either side of the the law coin. Yeah, yeah exactly. The Green Mill is a real jazz club in Chicago where Frank did had his bar set up. Oh, yeah. Um, it was frequented by Al Capone. Wow. Yeah, so he specifically, he really liked the Green Mill because there was one specific booth that was his mm. um, that had a perfect vantage point of the front and the rear door so he could uh, see anybody coming at all times. Smart. Yeah, <laughs> really cool. It, this movie goes so deep into the yeah, Chicago yeah. crime syndicates. The way Michael Mann was going about this film, he got a lot of help from the people who lived those lives yeah. because they respected the way he's going about it. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really great point. And it's something that good writers do a lot as well is put the research into understanding what they're actually writing about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... And I think that gets missed sometimes in big budget Hollywood films is that are like covering massive events or like yeah yeah is understanding like really it just the minds even of the yeah. people that are involved like yeah. like James Con knew and I knew what James Con knew inside and out like the character of Frank yeah um, and so that that plays an important part in setting up the film and and just making it rich with like 
lore and yeah. and detail and and that's where like you see these high profile actors who like who meld into a role mm-hmm. they have to have something to meld into yes and that's where all that like phenomenal writing comes in and it did come in here and i think that on the last episode that that was maybe something we had kind of discussed a little bit about Gary Oldman's character, maybe Gary Oldman, because the character wasn't deep enough, yeah. he, he kind of struggled with the role a little bit, yeah. and and he wasn't happy with Which it. Which is surprising so. for him, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's a char- he's a guy who loses himself in yeah. a character, and this wasn't a character that he understood well enough to lose himself in, yeah, because yeah. it was so one-dimensional. Yeah. All the cars in this were just, like, phenomenal. Cool, like, 80s cars. Yeah, yeah. and, like, there was, like, uh, there was a mix of, like, some like 60s muscle cars all the way up to the 80s like the newest 80s cars like Mm -hmm. there's like even like shitty cars of that time like a buick lesabre and stuff like that but the um the eldorado that he had and the bmw that he had Mm -hmm. they were just phenomenal it was just like they had the right cars for his person personality yeah the the cool like baller like gangster cars like they, they weren't muscle cars but they were like the chic black like yeah i know yeah, exactly what yeah. you mean let's talk about score because you had kind of mentioned this previously the the score is very electronic 80s like if you think yeah. 80s movies like this this score is like fits yeah. perfectly into that time yeah it's the synth yes so like <clears throat> i don't know if you've actually looked into what like synths are but like they <clears throat> they often had, you know, they had like a guitar plug and they would plug it in and then plug it in somewhere else on this massive like circuit board. Okay. And then it would create these like undulating like wah, 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 wah. And right. then they would manipulate that to create these super crazy like futury sounds. Interesting. So that's what like, that's like the sound of the 80s. <laughs> yes, it because, is. And like... It fits in so well with the lighting and the the rainy nights, like in the city. It just created that whole vibe, and that's one of like my favorite sounds in the world, just because of like memories of watching old '80s movies as a kid. Maybe that's part of the reason why you and I enjoy like Blade Runner twenty forty nine as well, yeah, because it kind of yeah. does that. Too. Oh, hundred percent. And like the yeah twenty forty nine, they really like it, they took that concept and remade it in uh, such a like. Uh, modern way yes but they respected its origins yeah they hired a band called tangerine dream yeah um, which is a german electronic band that was founded actually in 1967 which kind of blew my mind that that they were already at that point like almost 15 years old had been around for that long yeah because their sound is very 80s but they had been around previously yeah so i think it took that long for it to become mainstream like they had there were different areas of music where especially in like europe where their music didn't come to like their underground music didn't have a chance in america for a while that's the way i see like the synth growing is from europe to america and then america in the 80s into film and and funny enough actually so this was the second film that tangerine dream scored and they went on to do a number of other films especially in the 80s but funny enough when this came out it was nominated for a razzie award for worst score wow but 
and this is where I'm going to segue into Legacy. I think that this film is the film that influenced 80s scores. Shit. Yes. That's amazing. Because it came out in 1981. Yeah, yeah, of course. And this was like one of the first uses of this electronic Synth sound? Yeah, Yeah, that synth sound in 80s movies. I think... Oh, wow. I think that this is hugely important for this time. Yeah. That Uh, this is like... This is the perfect setup to the rest of the 80s movies that everyone knows and loves. Yes. This is what set it up. He created that whole vibe with the filming and add in the score. Yeah. Yeah. I and That's why I love it so much. (laughs) Yep. That's it. Because this film, it's not a big hit anymore. Like it's not a, it's not a cult movie, I would say. Yeah. Um, But at the time it was a big critical hit. So if you think critical hit, you've got to assume that a lot of, big Hollywood names have probably gone and seen this because they yeah. heard about it. Yeah. And so this would have influenced a lot of their work throughout that time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Man, that that opening, like the first notes I have on this were great opening shot. And then I was like, and music. And I put in quotes, down out. Like, <laughs> like I, I yeah. tried to write that sound. <laughs> right. <laughs> Man. But I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Down um, and the other part of the legacy of this is this is the groundwork of Michael Mann's career. Mm-hmm. And we're going to we're going to watch Heat. That's the top of his game basically, but every everything else that he does is is rooted in this film essentially. And probably a lot of the research he had done because there's probably a lot of those background conversations that he had with the police on set or the thieves yeah, on set yeah. that opened up stories and world yeah worlds to explore yeah within exactly. that underground I, I believe the conversation that frank has about being beaten in prison was actually based on a real story that one of those guys most had. likely yeah, yeah yeah that's most of my legacy bits but i think this film is so important to the understanding the 80s and in film yeah just everything i i feel like they nailed like the weapon choices the the clothing, everything there. Sorry, I'm going back to the effects and filming. But yeah, no like, it was it's the setup for everything. And I'm kinda of, like my mind is a little blown right now just thinking about like it, it was nineteen eighty one and that sound was new and how it meshes with everything. Yeah. Uh, it kind of blew my mind too when I got to that point where I was like, you know what? This is this is the movie that started that. Yeah, and like I feel like even like uh like Frank's leather jacket, like like, his suit, his, can, his like suit. his suit is so cool, and like yeah. he goes to see the guy at that factory, yeah, um, to get his his jewels back. Like I was like, damn, that's a good suit. Like yeah. I think I like that suit better than I like Cary Grant's suit. It, it's just like you know, like the big like uh, yeah collar, a, yeah, the big collar, like yeah, open, open like, yeah. Oh yeah, that's a cool suit. I yeah. could rock that. Yeah, I could rock that for sure. This was like before the time of someone who's badass has to be like super ripped mm-hmm. he was just he was like a pretty skinny guy but you do see like he's he's fit i guess i don't know why i'm going into this but like <laughs> i'm just like looking it's, at a few is, this photos this is pre-2000s where you had to be on where you didn't have to be on steroids to be like yeah. a good action star yeah. or a good like a good main character right yeah this is this is where just being 
being like you know a, and, a regular guy yeah okay. like he had like now we look at his hair he had like kind of like a mini fro yeah he was kind of it balding was like a little bit balding with like too big of hair for what the amount he had left i loved his hair dude it was, it was just <laughs> yeah. like something else right <laughs> yeah it was just so like it's like the end of the 70s and then like yes, the beginning of the 80s exactly it's it. that crossover of the beginning of the decade yeah that's exactly it that reminds me of like Mad Men. In in Mad Men in the final season, they're transitioning into the seventies. So mm. all of the actors, like over over time they transition, but the last season you really see a stark difference between how everybody looks and they look yeah. all look awful compared to the sixties. Yeah. yeah. Uh, except for Don Draper looking the same as he yeah. did in the fifties, basically. Yeah. But anyway, the the film itself, moving into sequels, prequels, and reboots, was actually based on a novel called The Home Invaders. With Confessions of a Cat Burglar. So this is written by Frank Holmer, who himself was a thief and wrote this while in prison. It's very loosely based on the book. He basically read the book, wanted to make a movie out of it, but then kind of pivoted to a whole other story with some of the elements and like yes. probably the feeling like the feelings of the thief in the book and like yeah his mentality mentality like, yeah, yeah, that's what it, yeah it probably it probably helped influence the character of yeah. frank more than anything yeah yeah no we haven't talked about the mob guy yet yeah the, the father yeah about him a little bit as well he was and he wasn't a classic mob guy yeah, so Leo, Robert Prosky is the actor. Yeah, he's kind of a little bit older and grandfatherly at first, the yeah, like feeling. Yeah. And then he becomes a little bit more evil as things go on, but he's not like your uh Don Corleone. Yeah, he's yeah. not like yeah, he's not your Don Corleone. He's he's not like any any of the like head mob bosses in Goodfellas or anything like that. He's got a bit of a different vibe. I think that's kind of hinting that he's like a more like a modern gangster for that time yeah, period maybe like he like yeah like we see him when they're doing the work trying to figure out how they were gonna do the crime or the theft we see him in like golf clothes like yeah, he's about yeah. to go golfing yeah. in chicago whereas like you don't really see those guys in like Goodfellas or yeah. The Godfather wearing that kind of outfit. Yeah, yeah. It was like he had a bunch of legitimate businesses because that's kind of the difference where like The Godfather, they were start like that was before they had a lot of legitimate business. Right. They had to transition. And I think, yeah, that's where like he is kind of a modern Godfather. He played it well because leading up to the heist he really draws frank in while frank's still trying to be like no i don't want any like i don't yes. want anything from you but then he's like i could get you a son because they can't have kids yeah and like that's an essential thing like i was like don't do it frank <laughs> don't do it once you do that there's no getting out yeah he's got you yeah he's got like you. you're you're taking a favor from this guy yeah like maybe that's and where favors mean something to and, these guys yeah and that he should have known that from prison yeah he you should've. don't do you don't do anything in prison for someone else yes without, that's a great point yeah he lost sight of who he was then. yeah yeah yes. exactly like he was yeah he was getting bedazzled or 
well, dazzled, he, not bedazzled. He, yeah, because he, well, he had this look of how he, what he wanted in his life, mm. and because this one particular piece wasn't seemed so fit impossible. In, yeah, yeah, this like this was the out, and yeah, and that's and, where Leo knew where and how that's he could where get Leo him. was looking, like he yeah. was looking for that thing. Yeah, because because Frank is so good. Yeah, like he's top notch. He's like not world classness. Like he could be probably. Yeah, man, family. For like crime or even family for like work is yeah. like it's almost like trying to get people into a cult like yeah mindset yeah yeah that's a that's really interesting I've never yeah. really thought of it like that because that's essentially like that's what the mob is like they they're a family you do everything as a family like do everything for the family you do everything for yeah. the family yeah it's like a cult like it's yeah and it's the same thing like if your work's telling you that uh, you're a family. Yeah. Better be looking out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't don't continue with interviews if they're like, oh, we're like a family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna you're be not... doing a lot of favors. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna have to give up your firstborn. You're gonna get kneecapped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Drinking the Kool-Aid. The way Leo as a character was great. I didn't love his death scene. No? I love he... Okay. Okay, we had this was the second time in film where we've had somebody get shot and be dead and then like moan afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like he's shot in the head in that yeah. part. Yeah, and then he's like like Yeah. Where uh, does that happen? Maybe it only happened in the 80s the cuz they had so much lead poisoning or something like that. <laughs> the bodies back then. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, so his actual death scene sucked, but everything that led up to that, I don't know if this is the first time, but it was used so effectively, silence in the movie. Yes. There's no score. It was just... Yes, um, it was dead quiet. That was fantastic. I noticed that too. And as soon as he shoots him, the music starts up again. Yeah, yeah. And James Conn was actually using the gun like appropriately like yeah. he, he actually learned for this yes uh, he for did this role and that carried through his other films as well yeah um, it, it, it's and notable that yeah like that actually sets him up well because he doesn't just blast a ton of bullets he actually runs out and he's going around corners effectively everything yeah so i actually read about that in my research that yeah. he so he essentially went to a gun training facility to get trained on how to use a gun properly mm-hmm. and when they went there he like he was explaining the movie and everything and they were like you've been in prison for like 20 years in this film you're coming out honestly you're probably not going to know how to use a gun all that well so they taught him for three days and they were like three days gun course this is how much you probably know yeah, realistically. Yeah. But like it you could obviously tell that like he knew what he yeah. was doing with a weapon. Yeah. Like because he was so like he knew his job. He, it was part of his personality yes. to like he had to be pretty damn good with it. Mm-hmm. He's so smart with everything else he does. It makes sense that he picked this up quickly in his like time out of prison. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's all these different scenes that are done so well and they're mm-hmm. connected pretty damn good throughout this whole movie you don't lose steam that much because if as long as you're okay with getting into character development yeah. which which is essential for a film like junkie like us yeah or it's that's just what we do yeah so you so this is the other thought i just i just remembered this this was something else i was thinking about because often family does come up in crime films especially centered around the mob and i was i was thinking about this a lot and i think it's also maybe a little bit of a 
of a tool to use in film to maybe make the characters a little bit more relatable because the average person isn't involved in the mafia isn't dealing drugs or guns or like like you know just a general involved there so to give them that family connection maybe gives you that little bit of like a empathy towards a character I wasn't paying attention. It sounded like you said some really good shit there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Empathy for the character. Uh, yeah, that's always good. <laughs> Perfect. That's fine. I've done that to you before. Too, yeah, so. yeah. I think we. I think we do it, and this is just the first time we've admitted it. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Oh, I've so, definitely done it to you. <laughs> and know, know, know what my tangent in my head was that maybe not listen to you right what? there. I was like, I wonder when it was the first time a cop broke someone's tail light as they pulled them over. Because that was one of my notes that oh, I just really? wanted to bring up. Is that like, was this, it's when he gets pinched for the first time. Yeah. And the cops are like, you're pinched, jag off. Yeah. I love that too. They're yeah. like, well, what do you get me for? He's like, broken tail light. Boom. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was just Googling if, like, when is the first time that happened? Because that is like uh that was something, yeah, that was something I was interested in. If this was one of the first films with like really crooked cops, yeah, yeah, like it's definitely an early film where they were portraying the reality of cops in the 80s, yeah. And well, an- another thing, another thing that I loved, another small detail of just like the 80s because we didn't have cell phones mm-hmm. in bars. Um, like Frank walks up to the bar. He's like, give me a phone, will you? And then they just like hand him like a landline. Yeah. And then I was, uh, I don't know. It's just like, he does that a few times and he, he's so aggressive about it too. Well, that's his place of business too. And that's something that doesn't connect at first. He did it somewhere else too. I thought, I thought Okla faked his death for a minute. (laughs) Why? Because he's already out of prison. Yeah, that's, I thought that's how they were getting him out of prison in case like someone was listening to their conversations. He's like, oh, I'm like, I'm sick. But like, (laughs) (laughs) know what I mean? And I thought, I thought that was their whole plan. Especially, no, especially with the negotiating with the judge. I -hmm. thought this was all like an elaborate plan from Frank (laughs) and like, he was like, yeah, getting Okla out he was getting out early, no matter what, but I thought they were breaking him out, and I was like, is Oakley going to be in, like, the heist, because right before the heist? That was some, like, pure Hollywood thinking. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas this movie's too rooted in, like... Reality. reality. Like, the yeah, guy's going to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The scene when he's broken into the safe in the heist... Mm-hmm. And, like, he's done that whole tiring job of holding up that thermite rod. They break in, and Jim Belushi goes in, and he's starting to fill bags. He's just filling bags (laughs) with diamonds. So many diamonds. Yeah. It was just a crazy amount of diamonds. And uh, Frank just sits back in a chair, all smoky and dirty, lights a cigarette, and, like, you could see, like, just, like... He's made it. He's at the top of the world. Yes, absolutely. That was a great scene. Like, in, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's probably one of the best scenes of a bank vault breaking into it's of all time. That should be in one of the satisfactory. Yeah, yeah. Like, just so genius, and just the way he acted there. Yeah, I keep looking at my notes and wanted to talk about stuff. I'm well, let's get into our personal reviews and the partner factor. We'll close out yeah. with some discussion right. on some of our favorite okay. scenes. Sounds so, good. I really enjoyed this movie. Mike and Jess both lost interest 
a little quickly, a little too quickly, I would say, hmm. because they had a hard time following those initial plot lines. And in all fairness, that's why I wanted to discuss that stuff is because there's a little bit of confusion there. So I definitely enjoyed it the most of the three of us. I absolutely loved the camera work and, and Khan's betrayal. Like those are, those are my two favorite parts yeah. of the movie. So actually, th and this kind of goes into effects in filming a little bit that I forgot to talk about earlier is the relationship between Frank and Jesse, they actually kind of flip-flopped a few times on whether their relationship was going to be brand new or if they were already established. So that's why things played a little awkward is because that first scene where he sees her at the bar and asks her to go out, yeah. I think they were initially thinking that was going to be their first time going out. Yeah. And then in post-production, they kind of edited it and made it so that, okay, like, yeah. I don't know if there were some scenes that got left on the cutting room floor. Yeah, like because that. they probably, like, went out to get coffee or whatever yeah. that first time and then later they were supposed to go to the concert or something and he didn't show up so yeah there's i saw that there was some continuity errors there yeah it was a little awkward yeah. for sure it's pretty obvious that it's a little bit awkwardly cut so i also in my opinion it's not the best crime film i've ever seen but it's pretty good <laughs> yeah and yeah it's probably the most realistic crime film that i've ever seen it was very well done, and how realistic, is compared to, like, Fast and Furious and stuff, <laughs> yeah. it's very realistic. <laughs> yeah. But, like... This is basically a biography. Yeah, yeah. Point, yeah. Um, but when you are looking at this film, it's very rooted in reality. Yes. And the fact that... The that. fact that it set up so much in the 80s, that's where I think this deserves the most respect. Yeah, and it's just, it's a really dense, well-written film and well-executed. I think that this movie is a little bit unique as well in that it's one of the very few cases where the criminal really feels, like, it really feels like they're trying to better themselves and get out at yeah, the right time. Yeah, Like, you really don't see that very often. It's It's usually, like, uh, they almost are, like, going down with the ship kind of thing. Like, yeah. they don't. But on the flip side, we get to see like Frank burn down his entire life. Like he, yeah, he gets like, back to his ex-con like yeah mentality. mentality because he has to complete this in some way. Yeah. So yeah, I I I didn't love that he burnt everything down. It was great. There was great scenes there, and like it it makes sense. But like at the same time, why not at least try to kill the boss first? <laughs> so I I kind of thought about that too. I think that, A, it was exactly what Frank, the character, would do in that situation, is he, he realized that he had made a mistake, that he he didn't stay true to himself, yeah. um, and so he decided to just burn it all down and start new. But I think that, B, despite the head of the mob boss and probably the top two or three guys all getting murdered all at the same time, there's probably enough pieces of the mob there and if if I'm like fourth in line in the family, uh, and suddenly all of the guys who are paying me are gone, I'm probably going after the dude who did that and ruined like my my whole family basically. So I, no, I think, you would just join them. <laughs> no, I think they. I think those guys would burn his place down because there's that there's the connection yeah, it, with the family. So yeah. I think no matter what. Everything of his was going to be destroyed, and he did it himself. Like, he did but, let the mob have that satisfaction. Yeah, yeah. 
like yeah, because the mob is bigger than just the guys that we're introduced to. I I see what you're talking about. And and he's never at this point. He's got to walk away from Chicago completely. The police are in his pockets now too. Yeah. Like I really understood where he was coming from when he made the decisions. When he turned Jesse out, like it was harsh. Like yeah. it was like hardcore harsh. But the reason why he did that is because she wouldn't have left anyway. Because she yeah. she's. She comes from this life already. Yeah. And she's like, we'll get through anything. She's together. ride or die. Yeah, yeah, she's ride or die. Yeah, yeah she's yeah. pure ride or die yeah. chick. Yeah. So he had to push her away. The only way that he could have done it is by just saying, yeah. we're done. I'm cutting you out. Yeah. Like It's like that scene in Old Yeller where he's like, just go. Yeah. <laughs> to the dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that Old Yeller? I think so. I don't Maybe know. Lassie. I don't know. Anyways. It's like it's Old Yeller. I don't think it's Lassie. <laughs> no, I don't think. <laughs> I haven't done my... No, I don't think... I don't remember if Annabelle watched this with me because I was paying so much attention to the movie. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> and, like, I was... Yeah, busy, crazy week. But it was... Man, I loved the movie. Yeah. And um, I was super into it. Because of that building, like, they built so much. Mm. I love getting lost in the universe or, like, scenario that they've yes. built. And... This got me to that point. Any small issues, I could completely look past because they built that world well. Yeah, and that's fair. And a, a lot of the issues that I had were like relatively minor. It's just I I thought, looking at it critically, I thought yeah. I needed to point them out. Yeah, um, same. Yeah. So, so did you think this movie sits on like any any t- any top list for you? Do you think? The top list that I would put this on, which I would love to actually like write an article about, is <laughs> yeah. movies that influenced a decade. Yeah. Like movies that influence that like most people don't know about or something like that. This is but, like, this is absolutely yeah, one of those. Like, top five. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. This and uh either a decade or a genre. It's like the same with our very first podcast episode. The thing. The thing. Yeah. Yeah. Thief and thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's those are the top two on that list right now. We'll yeah. see what else we can add on there as we keep going because we're finding these movies that are the beginnings of things. Yeah. Oh, the thing's like one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably one of my favorite horrors, like yeah. bar none. So. I would say these are close to the same level for their genres. Mm-hmm. Thief isn't as high as the. Th- the thing with. The thief thing? and crime oh, okay. is that uh, crime movies are all just just happen to be so fantastic. And, yeah, like, there's so many great directors and great actors involved in those mm. genres that like you're it's literally sitting a massive, in a podium yeah. where like The Godfather's like the number one rated movie of all time. Yeah, and then you've got Goodfellas, which is like number five. Yeah, like you're competing against like all stars, like yeah, like and- Olympic level movie athletes yeah and even like modern crime movies are phenomenal most of the time like yeah yeah. so crime crime pays (laughs) (laughs) i guess so yeah if we learned anything on this podcast yeah Um, i would say for me the diner scene is like a top scene a top scene for like probably it goes in my probably top it's definitely top 50. I don't know if it breaks top 20, mm. but it's a it's a really great scene. I was thinking, like, there's something magical about a really great diner scene, like in Pulp Fiction yeah. or yeah. When Harry Met Sally. Like, I don't know. Have you had, like, any personal diner 
moments, like discussions like that. I feel like we don't have enough of these diner discussions. You know what? Like I, I have like phenomenal memories at places that are similar to diners, like coffee shops and things like that. Yeah. So like in my personal life, yes. But no, nothing as like crazy as this. I need to have more like diner conversations. Yeah, I yeah. You need to life. go to more diners. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or like coffee shops. Yeah. Even though there's some parts of the movie where the dialogue isn't always great, that diner scene is like I, I was comparing it to Pulp Fiction where in Harry Met Sally, but like in a Quentin Tarantino esque conversation where you're like you're really hooked on every word that they're yeah. saying. Like, and they're you're really, learning so much and yeah. like they're they're really feeling it. Like like yeah. it's it's true to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, that's on a top list for sure. I really liked the police corruption as a cost of doing business aspect yeah. of the film. Yeah, like seeing it as in this way. Yeah. And the mob acknowledging it as like, ah, it's just a cost of doing business. Like yeah. that's how we do things. And seeing like the difference of perspectives of how the mob operates versus how a lone wolf operates. Like each of them is doing things how they need to do it to survive in the world that yeah, they're in. Yeah. And like with the amount of power that they have. Yeah. Like it's like um Frank has like specialty power where he is a specialist. He does his job and he does it well. And you like he can't whereas like the mob has like numbers and real influence right so he can't he doesn't want to cross into that because he has his thing he's a specialist Mm -hmm. so he's not really a lone wolf because he has his buddy barry yep jim james (laughs) james belushi (laughs) it's so funny that he's james there yeah anyways and man i was so sad when he died because he yeah he like he didn't he warns uh frank like and he was just such a good buddy. Like, we didn't actually get to see him too much. But you could tell, like, they, they worked on, like, all of the jobs together. He seemed like a good guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is maybe the most likable that Jim Belushi has ever been. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> At least James. <laughs> At least James. Yeah. As soon as he became Jim, he became a whole new person. Yeah. A worse person. <laughs> I really liked in this movie how Frank's already like set up. He's got his money laundering schemes. Like we don't have to get into the backstory in this. Like, yeah, because a lot of a lot of crime f- films is like, how did you start from the bottom and make it to where you are? Yeah. Whereas yeah. he's already started. Like he's already set. Basically, yeah. he's just trying to like advance himself a little bit quicker yeah. to where he wants to be. Yeah, like he just wants to get all of that stuff. I'm gonna say the fucking uh, quote from Leo his monologue because this is like him doing this i feel like is the same as the one in not lock sock and two smoking barrels snatch Mm. with the pig farm like that was like that's like that's like a close level like if i was gonna build a a monologue by badasses Mm -hmm. list this would be on it below the snatch one probably but um, oh, I guess I can't really say all of the words here. <laughs> anyway, it was the eighties. I'm not going to say them, but anyways, um, talking about some of the racist stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So this is Leo bossing hey, around Frank. Sorry. Sideline too. Dennis Farina's in snatch as well. There's your connection. Oh like, yeah. Yeah. I did see that there was a connection. Yes. Leo's like, you got a home car businesses, family, and I own the paper on your whole fucking life. I'll put your 
C-U-N-T, wife on the street to be effed in the A by N's and Puerto Ricans. Your kid is mine because I bought him. You got him on loan. He is leased. You are renting him. I'll whack out your whole family. People will be eating him for lunch tomorrow in their wimpy burgers, not knowing it. Yes! You, you get paid what I say. You do what I say. I run you. There is no discussion. That was that was scary. That was a legitimately like yeah scary. And he was monologue. like he was like so nice mm-hmm. before. Like he was like, hey, I'll get you a kid, <laughs> like stuff like that. And then this was like, and the way they filmed it because he like he has this like very unique face, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe unfortunate to some, but anyways, oh, he's um, an older guy. Yeah, at this yeah, point. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it was the eighties people looked yeah. like that. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, the way they filmed it, like the way he's like yelling in his face, mm-hmm. like, and with all of this stuff you just said was so badass. I, I was, yeah. I think all three of us were sitting like on the edge of our seats when he was saying that yeah, monologue. Yeah. Like you didn't breathe during that. Yeah. I don't think Frank would have either. Cause uh, like at that point you're like, yeah, this guy like will kill any one of us at a moment's notice. Like there's a yeah. reason why he got to where he's at. Yeah. And Frank's not really like that deep down. Like, no. that's where, like, he didn't want to become that. He just got roped in because he wanted this one last job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's too old for this shit. <laughs> Another part of just the the heist, the big heist, mm-hmm. was how they were, like, figuring out the whether... A phone. It was a phone line or a um, alarm line. When they so they they cut into the top of the building, found the oh, cables right. yeah, yeah. for all of the alarms and the phones. Yep. That was such a cool thing because that seems so realistic. Yes, that I very much imagine that like was another one of those cases where it was like the consultants on yeah. there being like, this is how we would have determined which yeah. wires to cut. Yeah. And you don't see that in other movies because what you do see is like in, cut the like, red wire. Yeah. Always cut the or red wire. E- either that or you, this is like a classic scene again from the dark Knight, where the one guy's tripping the stuff on the roof mm-hmm. and uh, he's like, like beep, beep, beep. And then he's like, done and then the other guy shoots him in the head like you don't see what's actually going on we actually got to see them use tools to figure out this is the line this isn't the line and like go through that process another like that whole beginning to end heist scene phenomenal (laughs) like like, what a death by the father by leo yeah (laughs) i loved how he said i could be your father or something like that or i'll be like your father yeah the way he introduced that concept to frank and frank's like no get out of here but then eventually (laughs) he's like wait i want to be a father he's like i could give you a kid Yeah, Jess called that too, eh? Like uh, when the, we were in the adoption thing and he couldn't get the kid, Jess was like, well, he's going to go buy a kid now off the street somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And then it happened. I was like, whoa, yeah. that's crazy. I can't believe yeah. he called that. Another like little thing was when Frank was sneaking around the house to go kill Leo and the mob guys. Oh, that was a, such a good scene. Though. Yeah. Like up until the when he actually physically died. But yeah. like like you said before, like how quiet it was when we heard like the synths going yeah. through most of the movie. yeah. So, like, Frank's walking through, and then, like, a lady sees him. Yes. And knows that he's there to... That's like, That was the maid or something like that, I think. I thought, I it, was, I thought it was, like, his wife or No, I read it. I, I read it was yeah, the maid. maid? Yeah. Okay. 
Because she was watching TV there. I don't know. Yeah. But um, anyways, yeah, like, that's another... Just, and she just had an understand. They each had an understanding yeah, of what he was there small for. Small details like that. Yeah, yeah. Really cool. And he just left her. She left him, kind of thing. Yeah. I really thought Frank was gonna die at then when he got I he was when he too. got fucking blasted by a shotgun. Yeah. I'm glad he didn't though. I'm glad he he could walk away because this movie ends with him and a new beginning. This movie ends where like most movies start where the character is becoming like a fresh new person. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of cool. Yeah, like I was like of course he wore body armor like yeah. Like true. It's his character. He's ready. He prepares for things. Yes. He thinks it all the way through. Even like he thought like the chances of him surviving are pretty low, but like might as well wear body armor and blow up all yeah, my but blow up. Why my would whole I life. be an idiot and walk into like the yeah. lion's den without a little bit of yeah. protection? Yeah. And like the way he snuck in and like made it like right to the boss yeah without seeing or like he, he knocked out one guy and small, then small little detail that i thought i noticed and then i read about it and i was like yeah that was kind of a neat little detail is when oh, i don't remember the character's name the kind of the second in command to the yeah i didn't catch his name uh at atagilia i think Anyway, so when the guy goes to grab milk from the fridge, yeah. he giggles to himself right as he's about to walk in, and Michael Mann said, like, think of something funny as you're walking in, and I want that reaction while you're walking in, like, you know, like, you've got something yeah, on your mind yeah. that you're thinking about kind of thing. Yeah, and his, like, belt was undone, his, like, shirt yeah. was untucked, and uh, it was, that was weird that they were, like, sitting there, it was like... The Leo and him were sitting there like an old married couple. Or yeah, something. it was weird. Like that's where like the family aspect yes. of their their world was so true for them. Absolutely. Yeah, like he's getting up to gla- get a glass of milk. You like, want a glass of milk? Yeah, <laughs> it was like, sitting so, by like, sitting chill. by the fire. No, yeah, yeah. They have no him. idea what it, what's about to yeah, happen. <laughs> yeah, unreal. All right, time to go. Yeah, I think that's it. This is this is a lot of fun. This is yeah. a great movie to discuss. Like yeah, yeah. a highlight could, real film for us to discuss. I yeah. think on the podcast. I really hope that if you haven't seen it, that you go and and check it out because it's really great and it's it's probably worth your time. And I'm I'm extremely excited to talk to you about Heat in a few weeks. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. We'll have to we'll figure it out. Um, this is coming out probably the 12th of may or the 13th of may you and i are going on vacation the week after so we'll have to see yeah we'll have to see if we can film before before we leave we should meet up in mexico because we're going to different places but we should meet up and do a mexico podcast true (laughs) (laughs) yeah but if if this podcast of the next episode doesn't actually come out in may it'll come out the first week of june at the absolute latest and then we will uh we'll have maybe three in june so looking yeah. forward to it awesome. i've got i'm really excited the heat's gonna be awesome and then we've got a lot of great stuff to be looking forward to in june so for sure thanks for listening yeah we'll see you next time